Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil. Right off the bat, I just wanted to apologize for any lower audio quality this week. Uh, I am in Qingdao, which if any of you are unfamiliar with China's geography, Qingdao is on the east coast. It's between Beijing and Shanghai, and uh, I'll be here until mid-August, so uh, we're going to have to sort of offer some alternative ways of uh, recording the podcast for the next uh, three times in my case since we Luke and I switch off every week. So just apologies if there's any lower audio quality, if there's any background noise. We're like right up, our Airbnb is right up against a, um, uh, not exactly a highway, but a busy road. So you might hear a car horn at some point. Apologies if that is the case. But uh, nonetheless, though, uh, we should be able to go through the podcast questions with no problem. Uh, a few announcements. So one is regarding the progress on the intermediate course and the advanced course, or I should say the upper intermediate course. Actually, I do have updates on the intermediate course. So let's just go through them. So in the intermediate course, we have finished adding our vocab boost lessons in terms of building the structure of them. Like we've made the thumbnails, we've added in the sentences. Um, <clears throat> this week, we will be getting the sentences recorded. And they're also already added to our um, new flashcard software, Traverse.link. So first of all, we're going to make an announcement probably this week to people on the intermediate course asking if they would like to check out the beta test of Traverse.link for specifically this group of sentences because uh, this is new vocabulary. So as a reminder what the vocab boost lessons are, in the intermediate course, the vocab boost lessons cover words that are made up of foundation course characters, but they are, um, despite being foundation course characters, they are not in the foundation course because they're medium frequency. So uh, in the foundation course, we make sure only to cover the highest frequency words, the words that are in the top 80% of the language by frequency. That way, when you're finished with the foundation course, you can recognize the most common words in Chinese. But that doesn't mean that of the 592 characters in the foundation course that there aren't plenty more words that you can learn. In fact, uh, there are about 5,000 or so <laughs> that you can learn and that by the end of the advanced course you will learn. And so in the intermediate course, we're covering the ones that are in the HSKs 2 and 3, and that's the new HSK 2 and 3. So essentially what the vocab boost lessons are, are foundation course characters that are making up words that are in the HSKs 2 and 3. And so there's about, for each word we and each usage, we actually gave two sentences. So only one of them will be required but uh, per usage, but we just wanted to give you plenty of extra so that you can kind of get wrap your head more around these different uh, these different words, and they're still relatively high frequency. I mean, if they're in the HSK 2 and 3, you know, they're medium high frequency, let's put it that way. So they're important, and they will make the move into the upper intermediate course much easier. Uh, secondly, regarding the intermediate course, um, because our assistant was taking the time to put together these vocab boost lessons, he had to put the intermediate course long form stories aside for a little bit, but he is now going to go back to that. And all he has to do is check the text tracking files and just adjust the timestamps a little bit in case there's something to change. But the recordings are finished. The uh, 
uh, text is finished, the top-down words are added, and so all we need to do now is just make sure that the uh, text tracking files are correct, and once they're ready to go, we will publish those, and you'll have uh, over, let's see, 64 new long-form stories in the intermediate course, which will help you uh, dramatically. <laughs> It'll make your uh, sense of comprehensible input shoot up. Like, if there were ever, you know, one piece of thing, a piece of information or learning materials that we were going to give you that is going to help improve your level. You know, it's like you you haven't read those 64 stories and then you have how much better you're going to feel about your Chinese and your sense of understanding. This will be a really big upgrade. So those are two intermediate course updates. Next, we have an update about the upper intermediate course, which is that uh, it's really just chugging along in terms of what we are uh, preparing, but we've gotten the sentences all written for level 58 which is the next level of the course and I think I mentioned in the previous podcast technically we're going to call level 58 the last level of the intermediate course but then um, I've prepared the usages up through level 62 and uh, so I'm kind of working on two things at the moment one is to set the usages for all the vocabulary for the upper intermediate course and then at the same time I'm working on building the order out through the advanced course. So we've set the order now through character number 2200 uh, which is two levels into the advanced course. So the first two levels of the advanced course are ready to go. Uh, the upper intermediate course is eight levels. Uh, levels uh, 59 through 67. Um, so that's um, so in fact, that ends up being nine levels. Yeah, right, because you count uh, level 60. So yeah, yeah, it's nine nine levels there. And uh, so yeah, so basically it's um it's a it's a awesome situation where we are very close to getting this stuff ready to go. And I'm I'm really excited about it. I think that it's going to be such an improvement to the course, and it's going to give us this final skeleton. So uh, meanwhile, I'm just going to keep keep cracking away at it and hopefully we'll reach our uh, November goal of releasing the advanced course and um, one final announcement about the beta test so I mentioned that there's we'll have the beta test for the intermediate course for people who want to do the vocab boost lessons in the new flashcard software and that's of course great we can do that totally but that is in the context of people who are already that far into the course for those of you who are new to the course, and especially those of you who maybe signed up and became a member, uh, you know, a paying member of the course, but haven't really gotten too far into it, maybe Anki tripped you up, or you just got busy, or something like that, we would be very interested in you for the beta test for the beginning of the course. So let's say you signed up for Mandarin Blueprint on, uh, I don't know, let's just say it was a month ago and you had a you know head of steam and then something happened in your life and you got too busy and you haven't started yet. You're like the ideal person to do the beta test because what we want to get is people who have already committed because we're not trying to sell you. It's a beta test. It's a, it's going to have problems. You know, so it's not exactly something where we want to show this to people who haven't signed up for Mandarin Blueprint yet because they're going to be like, man, there's all these bugs or whatever, you know, so, um, but on the other hand, we want to give people who 
don't know a lot about the course a chance to give their feedback because you know anybody who has already done the course for a while and used Anki, while you'll certainly have good feedback about the uh, new flashcard software, there may be things that the flashcard software is unclear about but um, you get it because you know the Mandarin Blueprint method. So the ideal person to do the beta test is somebody who is still not necessarily brand new, but relatively new to the Mandarin Blueprint method and is going to use the flashcard software. I think that that type of person is going to give us the best feedback about what's confusing about it, what bugs are there, are there any feature requests, these types of things. So uh, very curious to see if anybody can is interested in that if you want to sign up for the beta test. If the description I just uh, explained sounds like you and sounds like something you're interested in, please email us contact at mandarinblueprint.com and we'll get you on the list and we're going to be starting that beta test very soon i've already recorded the tutorial videos for it so uh you know we want to get that going uh definitely this month all right so with that in mind that covers our announcements and i'd like to get into the comments and emails this week and we have some great ones so first we're going to start off with a comment and from Keith Travis on what's next, the intermediate course. So this is the final lesson of the foundation course, and Keith has been smashing through the course. I think it's fair to say that Keith is moving faster through the course than anybody who has ever taken the course before. We just recently recorded a case study with him. I'm not exactly sure when that's coming out, but uh, it may be out already by the time this podcast comes out. I'm not sure. Either way, though, he left us a few long comments this week that are all great and well worth, uh, you know, sort of dancing through and seeing what kind of good content there is there. So with that in mind, let's see what he says in what's next intermediate course. Eight weeks and four days in a And eight weeks and four days in now, I spent many off-track hours this last week with other things. However, I cleared my HSK3 goal. Mind you, it was a full-length archived exam rather than an official, yet that's enough in my book. So essentially what Keith is saying here is that he passed a, you know, an archived HSK3 test after eight weeks and four days in. Now, I'm assuming that this is the old HSK3 and not the new HSK3 because the foundation course, the previous foundation course covered, or sorry, I should say the foundation course covered the previous HSK3, but then they updated the HSK. So the new HSK is going to take until you finish the intermediate course to do the HSK3, but that's because the HSK3 is now harder than it was before. But anyway, let's continue. I feel I should mention too that I quote unquote scraped by on the listening section using as much test taking tactic as actual comprehension. So be it. It seems deliberately built into the exam that the vocabulary far exceeds the official requirement, which an astounding number of characters were totally unfamiliar, even despite having reviewed both the MBHSK 1 through 3 Anki deck supplement as well as another full list of HSK 3 vocab some point to check against the possibility of my imagining things no doubt i'll run an actual cross-reference from among several of the archived hsk tests relative to the official lists i suppose it goes to show the importance of how much gauging from context one must do not only with respect to vocabulary but also with respect to what would make sense in a given grammar structure even when one doesn't quite know 
the words. I just want to pause here and mention that this is exactly right. Um, I took the HSKs. I took the HSKs 4, 5, and 6. I never took the HSK 3, but I took the HSKs 4, 5, and 6 when those were the top three levels. And um, there's definitely, it's not just the vocabulary from the lists. And it makes perfect sense. And it actually is something that when I sort of realized this, I went, okay, all right hat tip to the HSK there, because that's right. You should be able to figure out words through context, especially the more advanced you get. So, you know, no matter how many words we teach, I will say this, with the Mandarin Blueprint method, our intention is to finish covering all the characters and words that are on the HSK 9 list. So all the way through the HSK 9, which is the top level now. Um, But then we're going to also teach the characters that are like maybe say the top 100 to 200 characters that aren't in the HSKs. So the most frequent characters that didn't make the HSK cut because, well, we know that they tend to uh, cover more than just what they say. So they want you to be able to figure things out through context. But the thing is, you can. And this is something that sort of surprises people a lot of the time. They, they go, oh, I thought that, you know, this was the type of thing where, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to understand this stuff, but you you surprise yourself when you get a lot of comprehensible input because you just go, okay, well, I don't know what this is, but I know it's an adjective, and I even know what those two characters are, or maybe I know one of the two characters, so I can kind of guess what this probably means. And then another thing that you'd be surprised about is how you may not know what it means in the moment that you're reading it, but as you continue to read you discover, oh, actually, oh, I get it. Like, so sometimes the context comes in a paragraph later that helps you get it. I mean, like, it's just like anything. You're watching a movie and you don't understand, like, why did that character say that just now? And then, like, a few more events in the movie happen. You realize, oh, I get it now. I get what they were saying. So it's a similar type of thing with any kind of reading. So that's a really good point that Keith is making there. Now I'm going to continue with his comment. Listening to the archive podcasts is turning up all sorts of golden nuggets, both directly with regard to the language itself as well as with regard to attitude and motivation generally. I'm very grateful for the emphasis in many places which MB has placed upon rather than aggressively pursuing the learning of nuances or grammar bits. Just being sort of lightly aware of these things so as to have a chance to notice by the by while practicing the erstwhile content. Yep, that's absolutely essential. Grammar points don't teach you the language, comprehensible input does. Continuing, on that note, I began reviewing a formal list of HSK grammar points by the number, and yet, so far, the vast majority has already been commented upon by Mandarin Blueprint in some way in the various post-level emails, bonus links, or in-phase lessons. In keeping myself to the tune of transitioning from basic literacy to basic fluency by, at the earliest, four months, I've mapped out goals for the next seven weeks. First and foremost is to initiate myself to all of the intermediate vocabulary and unlock those Anki cards ASAP with an HSK4 attempt end of July. Pushing new goals reminds me of a TED Talk in which the program director of Tesla Motors comments upon how, typically, there is a period of challenge and then a period of consolidation as one smoothens out how to maintain accomplishment, 
Meanwhile, the CEO is looking for the right moment to push the next challenge onto the director before things get totally comfortable. I still haven't given serious effort for sh- to shadowing and quote-unquote polishing up any of the phase four and five graded reading passages after writing them all out, which seems to work best for me, and inoculating myself with the intermediate vocab, the primary focus will definitely shift to shadowing as there will be nothing left for me to write, alas. <laughs> well, there will be probably by then. Uh, hopefully the intermediate course stories will be released by the end, before the end of July. HSK-5 serious attempt by the end of August. I love the benchmarking aspect of these exams. HSK-5 in four months flat, based 99% upon Mandarin Blueprint. I think it's possible. Might have to up my game somehow, as of yet unknown. We'll see. Totally open to suggestions. Thank you again, and in advance, for all the gems of your program I have yet to discover. Well... I like setting uh, really lofty goals, and that's a <laughs> to say I'm going to finish the HSK-4 by the end of July, and then say I'm going to finish the HSK-5 by the end of August. That is quite the goal. I remember I did um, the HSK-4 at the beginning of a year, and then I did the HSK-5 maybe four months later, and then I did the HSK-6 eight, eight months later at the end of that year. Like So it was like within a year. A year I did all three, and I thought I was all special and cool for that type of speed. But, well, we'll see how Keith does, but I think that this is a, a great goal. And I love that idea of, you know, if you shoot for a super lofty goal, yeah, I mean, you might not make it. But how in the pursuit of that goal, you might make way more progress than you thought was possible. Uh, or you make it, and then you realize, oh, geez, okay, this was possible. And, um, you know, a lot of times people will come up with reasons why they can't do it as opposed to thinking about the reasons why they can. And so, you know, I think that Keith hopefully can serve as an inspiration to people who are, uh, you know, feeling a little bit like they can't do it. If at any point you're feeling like you can't do it, just think of Keith. So (laughs) we're going to have another couple of uh, check-ins with Keith in this podcast. So next we'll move on to... Darcy Mallon on level 27 complete. This is an interesting comment about shadowing. So she says, Started the shadowing back in level 24, Phil just insisted, and at first was so daunted, believing that I could never keep pace and struggled with this absurd thought that I had to know what I was saying. I often don't, even in English. (laughs) That is a good point, Darcy. I mean, even in this podcast, I'm somewhat discovering what I want to say as I'm saying it. I'm not necessarily you know, planning it all out and knowing it to a certain degree. So it's weird how we'll hold ourselves to a higher standard when speaking our second language than we do to speaking our native language. We certainly don't have a problem with making minor mistakes as long as our overall meaning gets understood. And so I think about this a lot when it comes to my speaking of Chinese, because if I'm going to speak Chinese to someone for a lengthy period of time, for sure, at some point, I'm going to say something incorrectly or or say something with a turn of a phrase that really doesn't apply to the situation properly. But, you know, the question is, do they understand and do they even care? That's another thing is like most of the time they're not in analytical teacher mode when you're just talking to somebody like you might have a tutor who will do that because they're in analytical teacher mode. But if you're just talking to somebody and you say something that isn't quite doesn't quite make sense they'll just go, oh, he means this, and then move on, right? And they won't necessarily, like, 
they're not going to think about it for ages and, uh, you know, criticize you in their mind. And then there's another thought that I have sometimes, which is like, oh, uh, if somebody out there who also learns Chinese and knows Chinese hears me say something wrong, then they're going to they're going to say like, oh, this guy doesn't really know Chinese, which is also not true because people who've gone through the process of learning Chinese understand that it's like, yeah, you, you, it's nobody speaks language perfectly, especially not a second language. So um, it's these funny things that we let our brains do to uh, convince us not to take certain risks or leaps of, uh, you know, uh, anxiety or whatever. So anyway, continuing with Darcy's comment, she says, so put on my headphones every day for a 45 minute walk and played all the dialogues and stories barking out my own imitating sounds. When lo and behold, I realized, I realized I do recognize some of what I'm saying. After a while, I could just rattle off the sounds in sync. At first, just got the beginning and ends, but I got better. Here and there, instantly recognizing words. Then I had a stunning moment of noticing a sound I actually didn't know. So I replayed the word to remember it, and on getting home, looked it up, and sure enough, it was a new top-down word. That meant I was actually, though unconsciously, really familiar with most of what I was hearing, enough to notice an unfamiliar word thrown in. I was shocked and rather proud of myself for catching that. Yeah, isn't that cool? I love that. I love that story. So <laughs> she's going through it, and then because of the context, she discovered the word, but she didn't really feel like I was, I even knew that there was context I was understanding. You know, it's, it's, it's this weird thing with language, how, you know, we uh, were getting a comment from Soren uh, earlier this week, and he was feeling particularly frustrated with listening comprehension. And one of the things that I was thinking with, with him was a lot of times with listening comprehension, you have to put yourself in a situation where you must understand. Because if you're like listening to a sentence and going, do I understand this sentence? You may not, you may or you may not. But like I was mentioning before, sometimes you understand a sentence a little bit later. Like you need to continue to get context. So one of the best ways to improve your listening comprehension is to get into conversation with people because it's comparatively higher stakes. You know, um, because you, you kind of must understand, otherwise the conversation has to take a pause. Now, um, obviously that's going to happen, and you're going to occasionally have to say, I'm sorry, can you say that again? I didn't understand. Um, and so, you know, that that type of thing, it's like sometimes you need to hear the person go on a little bit longer to, to get it. And then you'd be surprised, like Darcy's pointing out here, sometimes you unconsciously get it, and you don't even realize you're getting it until you start to respond or in this case shadow and then you realize well I must have understood because I'm getting some I'm understanding a word was top down or I responded correctly to what the person said to me in a conversation so um, this is all just to say that uh, that's a fascinating and awesome thing for Darcy to recognize in the moment so uh, anyway continuing she says finally I followed Luke's instructions and sat down and read while listening then read while listening and speaking all in sync then hot dog something else but i can't say it here <laughs> of course i would know what i'm saying because i've studied every single character on the page i focused on them individually written movies about their uh, antics and rewritten them several times i actually do know what i'm reading and what i'm saying and to boot i could write it all out if asked i look at the pages of characters in the stories and dialogues at the end of level 27 and holy smokes i can read them all so 
Though reluctant to try at first, I am a convert to the shadowing practice and now have faith that it's worth the initial embarrassment. Thank you again, Phil and Luke, for all your efforts in building this remarkable course. Well, I am thrilled to see this type of success, Darcy. And please, those of you hearing this story who haven't really delved into shadowing yet, and you're in the part of the course where it makes sense to do so, uh, take heart from Darcy's story. I mean, like, <clears throat> one of the things that's almost impossible to avoid if you're going to be doing the Mandarin Blueprint Method, if you're going to be doing anything that is a major project that requires lots of little steps, is that leveling up is always going to be difficult at first. There's always going to be this initial embarrassment, as Darcy points out. And that that embarrassment is a sign of and th that you can be proud of getting through it. Like, it's like, if you didn't have to go through the embarrassment, if the whole thing was just a cakewalk, then first of all, everybody would do it. But secondly, uh, you would have no not nothing to be proud of, but less to be proud of. But the thing is, the embarrassment doesn't actually last as long as you think. I mean, 45-minute walk. I mean, like, we can all take a 45-minute walk at some point and listen to some Chinese and just try to... And also what I like about that is that there's a little bit of a relaxation about that. It's like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to uh, just sort of listen to this and try to understand it and shadow when I can, but don't worry about it if I can't. There's sort of a... Um, a relaxation to it. It's like you're not judging yourself. You're just going to go for a walk. Take a little walk. And by the end of that walk, and then some further practice and whatever, but by the end of that walk, there was already a big breakthrough. And so I love this story. I hope it's an inspiration to others to uh, give shadowing a really good uh, shot because shadowing is what will give you more confidence when you get into some actual conversations with tutors. By the way, <laughs> I probably should have made this announcement at the beginning, but something we would be very interested in seeing, if any of you are so inclined to share, is recordings of conversations that you're having with your tutors. If any of you are having conversations with your tutors that are being recorded, like on italki or uh, Tutor Mandarin or something like that, Please, uh, if there's any of it, any clip of it that you're proud of or you think that you you nailed, we would love to see that because, you know, it, it we have so much that helps you get ready to interact with Mandarin and be literate in Mandarin and you know be able to speak Mandarin as I've as I've advocated for years. Uh, literacy in Mandarin can lead to being able to speak Mandarin, uh, and so. Something that we'd like to see, though, since we don't actually have a tutoring system of our own at Mandarin Blueprint, uh, is how it goes when you go to speak. And so if any of you have recordings of yourself speaking with a tutor and you'd like to share them, we would love to see that. So uh, we'll keep that in mind. And let's move on to the next comment from Christine on level 57 complete. She says, phew, made it. Can't believe I made it so far. Although at some point through the intermediate, you do start to realize that this is all just the very basics of the overall mountain to climb. But honestly, this course is great and truly the best way to learn characters. 
thanks so much for all the material and your personal dedication and the fact that you are always there to support us. It is really appreciated. Well, you are really appreciated, Christine. Christine has been giving us great feedback. She did two case studies with us. Uh, she sent us several emails that have been uh, very helpful to giving us, you know, sort of feedback on the structure of the course, areas where we can improve, and also uh, areas that are working very well for her. So this is great stuff. Thank you, Christine, for all of your contributions. And we'll have more stuff for you very soon. Uh, in fact, if you just finished level 57 this week, then you're in a perfect position to get uh, a lot out of the vocab boost um, lessons that we're about to publish. And so thanks so much. Um, great accomplishment congratulations that's a really really great level 57 of course the end of the intermediate course and uh we'll have the upper intermediate course and new content for you uh you know hopefully within the next couple of months too so vocab boost coming soon the intermediate course stories coming soon and uh then the upper intermediate course so not too long until you've got a bunch more great stuff, Christine. Congratulations, it's really, really fantastic. Next, we have Jason Pond on level 33 complete. He says, he's quoting our quote of Katsumoto, learning grammar in order to use a language is like learning organic chemistry in order to make a sandwich, Katsumoto. Wow, that's deep, says Jason. And uh, Jason's exactly the type of guy who I would like for him to process that particular message because it's it's very true you know you don't need to know the inner mechanics of most things in order to be able to uh use them and so this is true of many different fields but certainly true of language if you are able to comprehend what you're listening to what you're reading that will naturally give you a pattern recognition and that pattern recognition does not need to be articulated with language it exists as a feeling as an intuition it develops as an intuition and so um in the same way that you can make a sandwich without needing to know organic chemistry because you know the things that are meant to go together and you don't need to understand the chemical uh the the, the chemical compounds that make up the bread um you know you can just put some stuff on bread and there you got a sandwich um so it's similar with language and and i i always appreciate how katsumoto can so poetically put things together if you haven't seen katsumoto's blog all japanese all the time or ajatt.com excellent blog read everything in the uh, uh sidebar that was like best of ajat i believe that's the it, they're all incredible and all very motivating Next, we have Carrie Woods on Huilai in context. She says, I find it helpful to translate, quote unquote, certain phrases in a colloquial way in my head. For example, why have you come back makes sense using how. If I say, how are you back though? Like I'm not actually saying how in that context. Another example is imagining why, as in weishamma, in the context of for what, for why, how come as none of these are how you might be taught to write why, but they are how I would say them. Since starting to learn Chinese, I've been way more aware of the way we use certain English words, way out of context to convey certain meanings, and that, that has helped me, helps the various meanings of certain characters and words in Chinese make more sense to me. Yeah, you know, Chinese, I've, I've pointed this out many times, but one of the things that really shocked me about Chinese was how 
few exceptions there are to rules because there's fewer source languages, right? It's, it's a more unified language. And so as a result, many of the rules apply quite consistently. That's not to say, of course, it's language, there's exceptions to rules, but you know, English is just full of exceptions. English is full of oddities because you know, you've got Germanic roots, Nordic roots, Old English roots, Latin roots, French roots, there's the Greek roots. There's so many things that influence how the English language came to be, which makes it an interesting language, by the way. I'm not certain, not knocking English here because English can, can often be very hilarious. I think English is probably the best uh, language for comedy because there are so many words that uh, seem so out of context and that can be comical uh, in many instances. But uh, nonetheless, though, Chinese can, can be very logical. It can make a lot of sense uh, in terms of the you know, sort of structure and, and the way that you put words together. So uh, I'm glad to see that Carrie is getting that recognition. It's so cool to see like people recognizing certain things that I did before and, and, and make, it makes me realize that, oh, these people are going to be successful, you know, because these types of things are what keep you motivated. Next, we have Keith Travis on level 39 complete. So this is four levels after his previous comment from earlier in the podcast. So he's moving through with Great efficiency. So let's see here. As ever amazed with the efficacy, the combination of your OCLO, optimized character learning order, and Henza movie method. This mental system really is starting to become an exciting personal story, almost with a life of its own. And then he lists four characters here. Qing, which means cyan. Qing, which means please. He wrote here first tone Qing, but I think he meant it. He, this is actually a third tone, qiong. And then he put qiong, meaning light, and then qiong, meaning clear. I recall someone earlier had posted a comment asking whether there might be chance of confusion having the same actors and settings for so many characters. However, I find it makes it even easier to memorize new characters. This is because the scenes are able to expand and encompass every meaning. So, you know, it's interesting. I think he might have just had a... He th I think he thinks that all of these are first tone. The one of them is actually third tone, Qiong, number two, which means please. But nonetheless, though, it doesn't take away from his overall point here. So um, he he goes through the four stories here. So the his story for Qiong, Cyan, which means like basically blue-green. The Queen of England, QI initial, is at the entrance first tone to my old loft at Randall, ENG, English Manor Apartments, ENG Final. What a strange new color on the moon, she says. The shape above the moon kind of looks like feng, which is the top component, but with the bottom bit removed, right, yeah. The remaining shape has three horizontal lines. Color printing typically uses black ink plus three colors, cyan, magenta, and yellow. Okay, then, it's a cyan moon, kind of like a blue moon. Moving on to Qiong for please. I had straight memorized this one from seeing it so often, but after one, the queen grabs her megaphone and asks, please help me name the color of the moon. Then we move on to Qiong light. She asks her guards for help, the ones who drove her up to the entrance of the loft. She's there to get some candy from the dispenser prop on the top right of the character. But that's a lot of work, bottom right character. She asks if someone could please shine some light on the candy dispenser. Her assistant from the character Jiung to undergo, who is, of course, 
out there by her at the entrance and who had pre- was previously undergoing other work for the queen, scribbling, left prop, notes on her silk paper about all the work the queen is doing with the dispenser, two right props. Further undergoes the process of Qing Clear, the fourth Qing here, using an eyedropper to sprinkle some water on the cyan moon, which makes the color wash off so that the white light of the moon is now bright and clear enough so that the Queen of England can clearly see what she's doing with the candy dispenser. These stories have naturally, almost of their own accord, begun working in tandem to create larger stories in which new words with shared phonemes now work to reinforce and further help distinguish among other characters with the same phoneme as well, when convenient to reinforce and distinguish other characters belonging to the same setting and sublocation. Not necessary, but remarkably useful. With a goal of introducing all the vocabulary from Intermediate in seven days, I feel a bit daunted. So, th- I, you know, it's interesting th- about this because there was actually two mistakes in this, which I think might be a result of Keith rushing a little bit because, you know, we have Qing. supposed to be third tone, but he wrote it here as first tone thinking they're all in the same spot so if you're rushing you almost want it to be in the same spot right and then he put uh shine some light on the candy dispenser for number three chung but we make a note in this in this lesson that this is not light like light from a lamp it's light as in compared to heavy light or heavy so um what's um interesting here is that perhaps he kind of rushed through and just went with his first instinct but here's the problem Uh, or I shouldn't say here's the problem, here's why it's not a problem. Because our brains aren't so stupid as to go, well, wait, I I had it as light, like a shining light from a lamp, not light as in uh, the opposite of heavy, so I can't comprehend this. It's like our brains can just recognize light is a um, homonym in in English, so I can just use the English homonym to... um, to, to, to create the scene, it's fine. You know, you don't need to always use the correct meaning uh, as long as you remember that you got to connect it to the correct meaning. So, and, and it would also, you could also just modify the scene slightly. Like they're trying to pull down the moon and they discover, oh, we thought it would be super heavy, but it's actually really light. So there's that as well. All right. Um, continuing with his comment. The erstwhile 592-character core vocabulary to this point is almost tripling to 1,530. The erstwhile 959-word count almost quadrupling to 4,611. I was trying to write every new word down from each level, but then I realized that it isn't necessary. All of those multi-character words make good sense with a brief considered glance. Only the new characters themselves really seem to need a higher level of attention to initial reinforcement. After finishing level 37, I then wrote out the new characters for levels 38 and 39 and thought of initial hands of the scenes. I immediately unlocked all of the corresponding Anki cards, minus the prop cards since those seem to be rather self-evolving and reinforcing alongside the characters they are in, and so got a first day of review already. I just want to stop there for a moment to mention that this is a good thing you can consider when you get into the intermediate course, which is that the prop cards could start to become optional. I mean, like... I didn't use prop cards when I was learning Chinese. It's just one of those things that we feel, okay, we want to make sure we have value added here. You're making a prop. You might want to make a flashcard to remember that. But Keith makes a good point. The props are going to get reinforced in the scenes themselves. So you may not need that. It's, it's you know, I find it's kind of useful to have the prop uh, cards, but it's not 
absolutely necessary. So can bear that in mind as well. Um, also, I just wanted to point out that his point saying that um, only the new characters themselves really need to seem a higher level of attention. I also agree with this. The, the further on you get, it's mostly about the new characters. Because when you learn a new word, the grammar structures are pretty straightforward. Like It's like they don't change too much. And so when you learn a new word, what is really the issue is the new character. Uh, it's not so much the word itself, because the word you can figure out from the context of the sentence. The word is only one step away from context, whereas the character might be two steps away. So you need to focus more on the characters. Make sure you get those down, because a character to a word makes sense. But a character to a word to a sentence, if you don't uh, properly understand the, the character, can be too confusing. So... Um, you don't want to skip two layers of the language. You want to just move from one to another. But our brains are usually pretty good at handling moving from one to another. Continuing here. Every review refines has the potential to give rise to a refinement of the initial Henza scene. So I keep the initial scene super brief and simple, just poignant enough to leave a trace for the time I review on Anki. Sometimes the initial scenes persevere just fine, sometimes not. Kind of unpredictable. As such, save time by making them all brief and see what sticks upon first review. I look at the compound character words when words, but leave that for Anki. Right, so this is a great strategy so his strategy is basically like get an outline first of all the characters in levels um 38 and 39 and then use anki to figure out which ones just stuck well enough with that basic outline and like what a time saver because if you can just you know i don't know how many characters are in those two levels probably like 60 or 70 characters if say 40 to 45 of them are the trace element worked that saved you so much time, right? So then the other ones you make some slight modifications to and then you remember them. So it's a great strategy. Continuing, I can use my two favorite on-screen Google apps to simply skim over the grand end-of-level cumulative review sheets in order to give myself quick self-quiz confirmations or corrections as needed. Tomorrow, I expect to initialize levels 40 through 45. It'll be easier now that I'm leaving aside the compound character words and just doing the new characters. Day three, levels 46 through 50, etc. through level 57, more or less. Imagine that, in seven days, tripling the character base that took two full-time months to establish in acclimating to the hens of movie method. And now, Aklo makes the remainder so digestible. I get it. Doesn't make me conversationally fluent yet, of course, but I get it. Really looking forward to full-time shadowing and careful, proper reading once the intermediate vocab is set to sinking in. So that is some great stuff there from Keith. And I love this strategy, this recognition that it's like, hey, if you do only characters, and if you do, uh, if you follow this way of tracing and then using your Anki cards to understand, you know, what you're doing from there, uh, to understand whether or not your scenes were strong enough, then going back and doing the, uh, the words, that's where you really get that feeling for Aklo, that, that optimal character learning order where you, everything is building off what you previously knew. So you learn all the characters, you go back and you review all those characters in the form of words and you go back and review all those words in the form of sentences and that's when you really start to get that uh, proper acquisition so that's great stuff now we have another comment from keith at the end of level 45 so he really was this week smashing through uh the course at a highly rapid rate so let's see what he says here at the level 45 complete uh comment he says whoo found this level particularly challenging in my usual course of initially writing each character and reviewing 
the associated words. I'm not sure why, perhaps a combination of an amusement with the increasing novel impressions that come with considering Hens and Movie Method stories with each new character. Still, five days to go and to have initiated all the remaining characters through to the end of Intermediate by 10 weeks' time. After which, it seems quite on my schedule to supplement any remaining characters and words for HSK4 along with any remaining grammar bits. I did discover a wonderfully brief YouTube video which showcased eight sentence structures. I found that it has really simplified my understanding of how to simply rearrange English sentences to Mandarin format and vice versa, simply depending on sort of reversing verb object phrases with any phrases having to do with who, time, place, and how prioritized to the beginning of the sentence. So who, time, to place, to how, to verb plus object for Mandarin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I realized there is much more to be discovered, but this was the most sophisticated of the basic examples and along with the other seven basic structures pretty much covers the majority of at least the first 2000 Anki sentences. In trying to anticipate how to capitalize on having finished introducing all of the vocabulary and then transition from reading and writing to listening and speaking, it seems to me that writing my own sentences is becoming more and more attractive, as well as to read practice sentences as though I myself were composing them from scratch and, slowly, reading the beginning of sentences while considering grammatically possible ways to end them. A little bit of extra surprise and appreciation upon finishing the sentence to see how it was completed by comparison. Yeah, you're ready to start writing some sentences, Keith, for sure. Um, writing is very rewarding because when you write, what ends up happening is you are shocked you're surprised by what you end up being able to uh what you end up being able to do you're you're able to um produce in a way that you didn't think you were it was possible now speaking is really like it's really challenging because you have to say something right so it's like at the beginning it can be sometimes demotivating to try to speak too much but writing you got time so but that said though it's not that big of a lag you know it's like you think of something and maybe you want to move it around or whatever but you know i i used to get intimidated when i was going to um write a message to somebody on WeChat, for example, like uh, I had to respond to somebody and write a message. And I stopped being intimidated by it because I noticed that whenever I would would go to write, something was there. There was always something there. And then you can just kind of discover it. And then now I just started getting that confidence and go, you know what, I, I know how to write this stuff. Uh, I might not be perfect, but it's going to be good. And, you know, I had a surprising amount of times where I would go to teachers or just Chinese friends. And I, you know, I used to have Annie around the house all the time when she was writing sentences for Mandarin Blueprint. And I would write stuff and I would be like, is this okay? And the amount of times that she was just like, yep, this is exactly right. Like there's nothing wrong with this sentence at all. And I went, how could that be? Well, it's because all of the comprehensible input. Um, and so you're getting loads of it now. So try, try some writing. Um, perfectly reasonable thing to do. I've been thinking about putting in tasks into the course to write sentences uh, when you get into the intermediate course and beyond. Uh, it's something that you know we won't do until after we're finished the advanced course, but it's a thing that I want to add in because I want to get people outputting um, more quickly. And certainly within our course, output is through writing is, is certainly possible. So let's continue with Keith's uh, comment.
I've discovered that I can now watch Boonie Bears cartoon for kids and understand 95%, greater than 95% of the captions. Similarly, a movie called New Gods, Neza Reborn, an animation movie for older kids and teens, is also easily greater than 95% with respect to the vocab covered by this point. I'll be checking out Wandering Earth, a neat, fairly recent, and well-made sci-fi movie later to compare its captions. The native speed of these movies' dialogues are still a bit too fast for me, although curiously the older the intended audience, the easy the time the easier the time I seem to have interpreting at speed. It's nice to be able to read it completely and merely replay a few times to practice confirming to myself that I heard the words correctly. So from July 17th to August 2nd, I'll be entirely focusing towards the audio files, thank you Luke, and shadowing, perhaps even trying my hand at writing out some of the phase four and five passages from memory, as it seems that I feel more confident about speech when I feel as though I can compose something myself rather than parrot too much. The audio files are great. Spotify allows syncing, and I was pleasantly surprised to discover that the audio files are 100% Mandarin only, each sentence one right after another with no filler or English to distract me. Yep, that's true. Yeah, we, that's how we did it. Yeah. Sentences I know that I've already come into contact with at least once and had understood. In order to facilitate making known vocabulary more readily accessible slash retrievable, I've also begun a grand Excel sheet in which all of the MB characters are additionally listed by tone, initial, final, and an alternate character with color so that I can develop a thicker semantic network by means of chunking together groups of words in multiple similarity networks. Excel makes this nice since, of course, you can simply reorder the words by the properties of any column. The level 57 end of level review is exceeding nice as the web page link allows me to print out my own self quiz materials in review of the characters and vocabulary. Soon as I get my smartphone organized, I'll finally be able to go on long walks and listen at leisure. Similarly, with the incredible amount of vocabulary now and soon under my belt, I can practice mentally composing sentences at any time with no need for any other tools or reference. HSK4 attempt on August 2nd, my birthday, and then a full month to continue transitioning to better listening and speaking skills while supplementing whatever remaining vocab might still be needful for an HSK5 attempt by September 2nd, and a fourth month since beginning Mandarin Blueprint. Although the listed characters and vocab requirements listed for the HSK exam seem to vary a bit depending on which website I'm visiting, it seems the HSK 5 at most requires 1,709 characters and about 2,500 words. That's starting to feel extremely manageable, especially considering that we are already at 2,292 words right now as of the end of level 45. HSK 6 requires what looks like 2,633 characters and about 5,000 words. That too is looking so very manageable. As by the end of Mandarin Blueprint level 57, we will be at 1,530 characters and a whopping 4,611 words. At the pace of character learning the Henza movie method empowers, Learning an additional 1,000 characters facilitated by Aklo, of course, seems like would take only a week or so, and so as to get started practicing with them. If I understand correctly, the HSK's levels 7 through 9 is anticipated to require about 3,500 
the standard common index of frequent characters, and just over 11,000 words. Shoot, another 1,000 characters, another week or so to initialize and start practicing. Sure, a bit of a supplement needed, but a perception of the entire scale of learning and practice is beginning to feel very knowable and familiar. On average, the speed of new character learning has increased from about three to four characters per day during the two weeks I spent on phase one to currently about 150 characters per day as I, as I approach the end of the intermediate vocab by week 10. OMG, the table of general standard Chinese characters, Chinese, is the current standard list of 8,105 Chinese characters published by the government of the People's Republic of China and promulgated in June 2013. Estimates on average number of characters an educated native speaker knows is about 8,000. Absolutely blows my mind to think that a person could ostensibly learn those characters at a pace of about 2,000 characters per month in about four months' time, albeit in a very basic basic sense of learn. Perhaps I should say memorize. But still, starting to see the scale of things is really helping me feel reassured against the feeling of endless struggle. I feel 100% confident that I could visit China and get by on literacy with anyone willing to take the time to sit, sit and read and write with me. I've shown my Taiwanese girlfriend a list of the characters I've learned so far so that she has an understanding of how I how to aim practicing with me a little bit. Just earlier today, she showed me a new word meaning pulse oximeter, one of which the characters I knew, the other was a traditional version of a character I knew, and I was able to patch together a sentence meaning, if your pulse oximeter shows 95 or less, then go to the hospital. <laughs> a few days ago, while relatives were visiting, I was able to enjoy a fantastic conversation about languages in general with a cousin and his wife, who is trilingual Danish-German-English. The cousin himself was a professional opera singer for a while and had sung in German and Italian. He mentioned having been extremely intimidated by previous impressions of Chinese language, and yet I showed him a simple Anki flashcard sentence of six characters meaning, I'm happy to see you, forgot the exact sentence, and broke it down for him two words at a time. He immediately grasped it, was excited, and proceeded to practice a few times, and then record his voice before sending it as an audio message to his neighbor, who happens to be Chinese. The neighbor promptly texted back saying, perfect. Lots of fun to come, I can't even imagine. Well, I want people to take Keith's experience here. And, you know, remember one that Keith is clearly on the side of the spectrum that is pushing the limits of what's possible here. But you have to know that somebody is doing that in order to feel confident that when you move forward doing these things, when you're going through this process, you might have a lot more potential in you than you think. I mean, he's talking about doing 150 characters a day. The most I ever did in a day was 100 on my last day. Uh, so clearly, this is Keith taking things to the next level, and I love it. Um, I will say about the, and I know that I get exactly how Keith's mind's working here. He's doing the math. I'm kind of like this too. He's going, uh, well, okay, so then the, you know, says that there's 8,000 characters the average educated Chinese person knows. And that may be true, although it's it's one of those things where you really don't need to know 8,000 characters. Like, really. It, the, the law of diminishing returns is so massive. You know, you get to 3,000 characters, and you're at like 99.4% of the language or something like that. So the remaining 0.6 uh, is you know, it's 5,000 some characters for 0.6% of the language. So each individual character is like, 
you know, it just doesn't do much for you um, in terms of understanding. I mean, you could do it, you know, why not? Um, certainly nothing wrong with it. But uh, I just wanted to point that out that he was just trying to figure out, oh, it's technically possible you could do it in four months, you know, and so like, that's, that's pretty cool to see. And yeah, he's right, you know, you absolutely could. Um, if you, that was kind of all you were doing. One more comment from Keith, and then we will move on to some other comments from people. He just leaves such good comments that we have to spend some time on him. So he says, uh, this is on the make a movie for Gui. He says, character 1000, what, no fanfare? I recall that in mathematics, a magnitude is a power of 10. I'm trying to find the equivalent in Mandarin. Let's see. Zhenji, degree of earthquake on a magnitude scale. <laughs> Pretty close, warm, not exactly though. Shi de li liang. Shi, as in like the number 10, and then li liang, power. So 10's power, more or less. Colder, so... Let's see here. Math, exponent, exponential growth. Very warm. Funny. This seems to me finger count at first glance. Exactly. Yet this word uses characters presented by this point, so I'll go with it. I remember an excerpt from a presentation by Elon Musk in which he refers to thinking in terms of magnitudes when estimating the scale of operations needed to make a business endeavor practical. For example, instead of estimating that 10 to 20 battery factories might be needed, he will estimate 10 to 100. Instead of estimating 100 to 200, he will estimate 100 to 1,000. When I first began the course, I was definitely at a finger counting level. Every single character was a massive increase. Then learning 10 characters at a time was a pretty big leap. And now at about 100 plus per day, arriving at character 1000 feels especially memorable. According to Junda and his list of character frequencies and percentage of Mandarin known relative to learning characters in order from highest to lowest frequency, arriving at the 1000th character would one would be able to recognize 87.83 of written Mandarin. That is a 7 to 8% bump up from where we were at the end of phase 5 at 592 characters. 408 more words, that's 69% increase from phase 5, and 8% increase in total character recognition for a 70% increase in character vocabulary, loosely speaking. But by the time we get to the end of the intermediate character vocabulary, we will be, we will be at 93.6% total character recognition. That's another 6% increase relative to a 52% increase in vocabulary re relative to the 1,000th character. In physiology and biochemistry, the metabolism is incredibly sensitive to slight changes in blood chemistry. A 1% shift in the relative concentration of a substance is significant, and a 5% shift can be borderline traumatic in some cases. Again, according to uh, Junda's list for creative writing, one passes the 99% mark at about 3,050 characters and the 99.9% .9 mark at 4,926 characters, 99.99 character recognition at 6,223 characters, 99.999 at 7,563, 99.9999 at 8,348 and 99.99999 at 8,427. However, native speakers with at least 2,000 characters under their belts are typically considered fluent. By comparison, HSK 6 has 2,663 characters and on its full requirement list. So far as I can tell, in other words, knowing enough characters to pass the HSK 6 should definitely be more than enough characters with which to establish fluency, yet only if one can recognize, integrate, and exchange well among them to develop fluency. And the new HSK's levels 7 through 9 extend to about 3,500 characters, I believe, pretty much equivalent to the official 
full list of high-frequency characters put out as a national standard. That same type of standards lists regulate another 4,500 or so characters, so common rather than frequent. Fun facts. Now, I enjoy this. I enjoy this type of analysis. And, um, you know, this is great stuff because it gives you a sense of the diminishing returns. I love that example there where you go from 99% at 3,050 characters and it takes, you know, another almost 2,000 characters just to get to 99.9. So it's a, it's really, you know, the law of diminishing returns. But it is also interesting how, um, you know, towards the end, as you keep adding a 9 to the end, the last little bit is only maybe another um, 80 characters to go from 4.9999, uh, wait, so 0.9999 to 99.99999. That was terrible to listen to for all of you, I'm sure. <laughs> Next, we have Jason Pond on Tui in context. The sentence is Lang Zai Wai Mian Yong Li the Tui Fangz. What here is becoming the adverb via d is it Yong Li, like push the house using force? So, right, so Lang Zai Wai Mian Tui Fangz, or you could even just say Lang Tui Fangz. That's the basic sentence there, right? And then you have Lang Zai Wai Mian. So there's the um, sentence adding in his location. So he, the the wolf at the out while outside pushes the house because it's from the three little pigs. So uh, and then he said then we add in lang zai wai mian yong li de tui fangzi. So yong li de tui fangzi is how he did it. Yong li de is how he pushed the house. Well, he used power. Yong li. And then you add the d to indicate that it's being applied to the toy. So it's how he pushed. He pushed with power. He powerfully pushed the house. Jason Pan on Nankan in context is Dian Shi interchangeable between TV set and TV program or show, or should Dian Shi Ji be used for TV set? So yeah, this is the kind of thing. It's similar to English in the sense that you could say I'm watching TV. Right, and it's just a general thing that you would say. I'm um, watching TV, and technically, you are watching the television set uh, while you're doing it. But you're also just, you're also just generally watching the programs. So, uh, by the way, the the official word for program is 电视节目. 电视节目. We haven't gotten to jie yet that character, but jiemu uh, is the word for program. So, basically. That's the idea there. The um, 电视节目 is, is a TV program. 电视机 is the TV set. And 电视 could refer to either of them depending on the context. Um, but, you know, if, if you said to somebody, my TV is broken, they understand that that's your uh, And if you said, uh, this TV is really interesting, uh, then you would understand that you're talking about the... Um, the program, right? Because it's the context. So in general, this is kind of like there are the specific words, but Dian Shi is a bit of a catch-all for, for it. And if, it, if all you see is Dian Shi, you can be pretty sure that contextually, uh, the context is going to give you the answer. Is it the program or is it the television set? William Beeman on Vocab Unlocked from Xin. He says, hi guys. In Ta Cong Xiao Mei Yo La Fu Mu Shi Nai Nai Qian Xin. 万苦把他养大的 is the le 
in the first clause necessary, superfluous or emphatic, since xiao and meiyou already imply a past completed event. I'm continually wrestling with le, and I am sure that millions of others are too. Thanks. Yeah, le is like a, it's the most talked about uh, particle. So, ta xiao meiyou le fumu. So, the le here, the sentence is he since being little, Tong Xiao, does not have Le Fumu parents. Now, if the sentence were Ta Tong Xiao Fumu, that's all that's also okay. It just doesn't imply that there was an event where he lost them. Right? So if you just say, like, I don't know, kids born and um the father was gone and the mother passed away in childbirth. He just didn't have parents his entire childhood, right? So, ta cong xiao meo fu mu is fine as a sentence. But suppose that, you know, I mean, like, this is obviously, this is all sad, but like, um, suppose that it was, there was a car accident and his parents uh, passed away in a car accident, right? Ta cong xiao meo le fu mu would be a better representation of that because there's an event there was a change that occurred he had them and then look now they're gone meola right so uh that's the idea behind that uh when you have look it gives better sense of an event that happened rick anglin on lian in context in what is the role of hua is ju hua a longer version of ju? So ju means sentence, but a sentence is actually a measure word, right? It's a measure word for text or speech, right? So um, you could have yi zi hua, which would be one letter of text or speech. Rare you're going to hear that somebody say that, but you might hear somebody say yi duan hua, which would mean about a paragraph or speech or just a section of speech. So by saying or you're clarifying the measurement of the speech. So in this case, it's two sentences. You cannot connect these two sentences, right? So that's just think of it as a measure word, just a measure word for speech or text. That's what that uh, is there. Rick Angland on in context. I looked for more sentences using and some of them referred to positive experiences, such as le huai le. So it seems to work like si le for positive or negative experiences. Yeah, it can. So um, you found the example of hyperbole for, uh, you know, you can say xiao si wo le. Oh, that's so funny. I laughed to death. You know, um, uh, you're killing me over here, right? So it's kind of like that's using si le to be metaphorical and hyperbolic and actually referring to something positive. And so huai means bad, you know, or spoiled, right? But you could so almost say like, you know, le huai le. It's so happy I'm like spoiled by it, right? So it's got that hyperbolic sense as well. And then you could also say another one is uh, a good one to know is um, chong is the character that means to dote on someone and a chong wu is your pet, Kind of a cool little thing there, uh, the uh, the the thing you dote on the chongwu is the the pet, 
uh, your cat or your dog or whatever. And uh, if you say chong huai, that means that you have spoiled someone. It's often used in the context of like romantic relationships. So like if a, a guy is with his girlfriend and he's just doing whatever she wants and she's buying her whatever she wants and whatever, Chinese might say that he's bata her in this case he is making her he bata chong huaila so it's like in that case it is kind of a negative in the sense that it's like he's being so good to her that it's spoiling her it's a way of saying she's he's spoiled um but yeah that's how that works sometimes huai can be a result that is actually having the inverse hyper hyperbolic meaning that ends up being positive Next, we're going to cover some vocab living links. So these are the links that people make to vocab words so that they can remember them either by how they sound or the meaning or some connection that they have to them. This is a great way to memorize vocab words quickly so that you can move on to seeing them in context. So here we have Corneal Snowwort on vocab unlocked, unlocked from Sui, Sui Shi. Sui Shi means like at any time or whenever, right? So it's Follow the time, sui shi. Come to my suite anytime. So suite kind of sounds like sui shi. And, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, indication here of something that might be the type of thing you would only want to do in a hotel suite. Uh, and that just adds in a little extra zhuzh to the uh, living link. And so sui shi kind of sounds a little bit like sweet. And if you're, you know, uh, see somebody that you're quite attracted to, you might say, hey, come to my suite, sui shi. I like that from Corneo. Julie Lund on Vocab Unlocked from yo. Yo ren zhi yo, mei yo, yo diar, hai yo, yo de, yo yong. So for Zhiyou, she says, a picture of the Home Alone Christmas movie. He's the only one at home, all alone, who can fend off the criminals. Sure. Yeah, so like, uh, I love cultural tropes like that. Pretty much everybody's seen Home Alone. And so you imagine something with like Zhiyou. It's a very abstract idea. But because Home Alone is such a cultural kind of um, pillar as a movie, you can use that as your, um, you know, you can use that as your connection to an abstract concept. I like that. Chris Lewis on Vocab Unlocked from Chuan, Chuan Yifu. He says, sounds like chew on seafood. Chuan Yifu, chew on seafood. <laughs> your teeth pierce through the skin. They are rather large fish. And then you can put on the skin like a wetsuit. Okay, yeah, sure. So twan can also mean to pierce. So it's like, it means put on clothes, but you're kind of piercing the clothes, aren't you? Like you're putting your body through the clothes. And so uh, it kind of makes sense there, right? So twan, and so you're piercing through the skin and they are rather large fists. You take the skin off of it. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Wild, but memorable, right? <laughs> Chris Lewis on Vocab Unlocked from Kong, Tian Kong, Yo Kong, Kong Jian. So you'll notice there, by the way, that I said Tian Kong and then I said Yo Kong because it's either Kong or Kong. It's Kong when it refers to space, empty space, because it means empty. And then it's Kong when it means empty time. So like you're free. Are you free or not? So if you have Kong, it means you have time and you could go, you know, meet for dinner or something. So he says Tian Kong, tea on 
Kong, like King Kong, like he puts King in parentheses, but Tian Kong would definitely be up the sky, up in the sky. Okay, cool. So, right. So if you were having tea on top of King Kong, you would be well up in the sky because he's huge. Okay. Yo, Kong. Yo, Kong. Do you have any, some free time? <laughs> so you got the people who are having tea on top of King Kong and then some people at the bottom going, yo, Kong. Let's see here. Kong Jian. Uh, Kong. Jian, would you all get out of my personal space? <laughs> <laughs> so just imagine somebody you know named Anne and then King Kong and you're like Kong Ji Anne <laughs> would you get out of my personal space and then Kong Chi Kong's breath another meaning for Chi is really stinky yeah that's a good one there where you take an alternate meaning of a character so like uh in this case it's you know Kong Chi is air empty air and it's just Kong Chi is just the atmosphere the air around and uh but qi can also refer to your breath. And so, uh, you know, Kong's breath, <laughs> that's a mixture too, because Kong sounds like King Kong. And so they're using the sound for the first character, but then qi, you're using the uh, meaning. So it's a, what do we call, uh, where you mix the two together. So um, a mixture of both. That's great. Well, that's some excellent stuff from everybody here. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Great stuff all around. Super excited that we've got people just smashing through the course. Thanks uh, particularly to Keith for leaving all these great messages. He's going through quite the uh, you know rapid version of the Mandarin Blueprint Method. We've never had anybody go through it so quickly. So it's very interesting to see what he has to say. And so thanks so much to everybody who is contributing to the course and as always if you'd like to help us get the advanced course finished more quickly you can leave us a donation at our gofundme link and also to uh, paypal if you'd prefer and if you give a donation of 500 dollars or more you will it's essentially a pre-order of the advanced course we'll give it to you for free once it arrives so thanks so much and we'll see you next week <laughs>